Welcome to The Shift, the podcast that empowers you to make a change in your life and chase your dreams with passion and purpose. If you are tired of feeling stuck in a life that doesn't fulfill you, if you have big dreams and ambitions but struggle to turn them into reality, if you want to break free from self-doubt and limited beliefs, Join us every week to listen to inspiring stories from regular people just like you, actionable insights, and the motivation you need to make the shift towards your own dreams. And please don't forget to share, subscribe, and leave us a review to help spread the message and inspire others. Hey, 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 welcome to the next episode, Shifters. And today, I'm glad to announce that I have Amit Patel on our show. Very excited for this episode because Amit is a good friend of mine. We chat a lot outside of the of this podcast. And... Tell them to fake a lot. <laughs> yeah, that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> and uh, Amit is a financial advisor. He was working uh, on a W-2 recently... Well, maybe not recently, but uh, he shifted and he started working for himself. So, which is awesome. And this is what it's all about, guys. We are talking to people that took a leap of faith, started working for themselves. And we want to tell these stories to inspire you. So, Emmett, hey, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome, brother. Good to have you on. Tell our listeners who you are and uh, what you do right now. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Emma Patel. I'm a financial advisor in the Bay Area. I work with a small subset of families doing financial planning with a specific concentration on helping individuals who are heavily compensated via stock and RFCU. I have about 12 years of experience running executive 10B51 plans, helping executives figure out what to do when they have a massive concentration in company stock and they want to fund other avenues of their lifestyle. And so the main takeaway from that is basically to start from financial planning, and then we kind of run everything they want to do around that, facing whatever their goals are. Awesome. I think a lot of people probably would need financial planning, and because a lot of people are not really financially literate. Yeah. So I think it's out. Everyone thinks they can invest, that's just one part <laughs> of it, right? So the idea is, what are we investing for, right? And so one of those buckets is it buying a house, especially in the Bay Area, right? Because the market here is crazy. Is it paying for a kid's college education or at some point even a wedding in the future, right? So those are the avenues that people want to do. And for the last 12 years, right? Obviously, I hope this becomes a timeless podcast. We're currently in 2022. But for the last 12 years, you can basically just throw a dart and make money in the stock market. The last six weeks, right? So we're talking about March through May of 2022, all of those hopes and dreams that people had pinned on their stock going to the moon and is gone, right? I mean, we've seen this market get obliterated down 20% in the last couple of months. And if you weren't planning for that, if you didn't, if you were just assuming things were going to go up and you didn't have a financial plan in place to say, what happens if this doesn't work out? People are panicking right now. So I'm definitely getting calls from former, I guess you could call them prospects. I guess people who I'd worked with in the past who didn't want the advice that are now like, Hey, maybe I should have listened to high five 2020. Everyone comes to that realization at different points. And maybe some people can figure it out on their own and some people can, but that's what I'm there to do, right? It's, uh, there's some people who just are not interested 
and they want to turn it over to somebody else. There's some people who just need a little bit of help figuring out where to go. And then there's some people who can't do it themselves and I'll just on market for me, right? Like I kind of equate it to a doctor, right? Like I could probably Google my symptoms and go on WebMD and find out that I have cancer, right? For every symptom that I ever put in is always cancer for a WebMD. Or I can actually go to a doctor who knows what they're talking about where I can get a real diagnosis. So some people <laughs> like the former, some people like the latter. It's not really that much different. And all we're doing is moving money around, trying to make the same case. I think it's an awesome analogy. Uh, the doctor, the financial surgeon, I would say. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So what, tell us, what was your life look like before you started working for yourself? So that's the interesting thing, right? So I think what you're going to find maybe with other people that you've had is it's a complete career shift, right? In my industry, there's multiple models, multiple channels in which you can be a financial advisor, right? And I'll kind of run through them. So if you have people who are thinking about making a leap, because I would have loved to have a resource when I was making the shift like this, right? Kind of give you what worked and what didn't, but you can go from the one extreme to the other, right? So one extreme is you are a financial advisor and you work for a large bank. So this is the Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, like I was formerly Wells Fargo, UPS, uh, uh, UPS, not UPS, right? And you're effectively employee, we call captive employee of one of these major banks. So you mm -hmm. still are bringing in clients. You're still bringing in assets. You're still doing your financial planning. You're still doing investments. You're still doing whatever it is that each advisor does in their own practice. You're getting paid via W-2 and the bank owns you and it owns those clients, right? The complete opposite side of that is now you're fully independent, right? So now I, it is Emma Patel's advisory service. I'm going to find an office to lease. I hang my shingle up and now the clients and stuff that I bring in, right, are mine, but there's pros and cons to that, right? So on the captive side, yes, the client, the bank feels like it belongs to them, but the bank provides things. The bank provides me an office. The bank provides me with a telephone and provides me with compliance, security, and all those stuff, right? When you go mm -hmm. fully independent, nobody's providing that. So you get paid more, right? Because all of the, all of the fees, all of the things that you're, that clients are paying you comes hundred percent to you, but now you're mm -hmm. required to pay for, for legal, for the compliance, for the rent, for the employees, for whatever it is that you need to run your practice, right? And so mm -hmm. not every advisor is comfortable with that. Some people just want to do the advisory management job and let offload to a, a larger institution. And some people want to take it all themselves. And then there's some models, which is kind of what I'm in, which is like a hybrid of the two. But I work for a company called Principal. And so I'm switched from W2 to 1099. So it's my practice, right? But I mm -hmm. pay Principal a little bit of money to handle that compliance and legal and all that other stuff. But the difference is now the book client is mine, right? I own the clients. I own the book. If I ever leave, they come with me that I'm not going to get sued by principal for, for doing that. Like you could with a bank. So if you leave a bank and you go somewhere else, they will sue you for taking clients with, right? So mm -hmm. the ownership of your practice, it's the ownership of your business. Um, and kind of what, to what degree you want to be responsible for paying the associated costs with running your business. Again, hundred percent, no cost but you get paid way less than a bank. 100% costs are all your own versus independent. And then again, hybrid somewhere in the middle, which is where I fall. Oh, interesting. All right. So that's, that's pretty cool. So basically you own, you own all the clients, you do all the work, but yeah. you still have your 
uh, previous sort of W2 job handling all the legal stuff? No. So the, there is no W2 at all. So principal pays me uh-huh. 1099. And what I do is I pay a portion of my profit back to them. Right. And I said, okay, well, exactly. say legal is going to cost you 750 bucks a month. Your computer is going to cost you 150. The benefit to this is I don't have to go figure stuff out for myself. I don't have to go and find a legal team. I don't have to go and find um, an IT department. I don't have to go and find all these things on my own. They have a framework that they're using for the 2000 other advisors that I kind of plug into, which takes a lot of the stress off me. Right. Yeah. And so it's, that's awesome. It's kind of a 50, 50. I didn't want to be, because I, I don't really care, right? I'm not really, I don't want to go and find a place to rent. And I don't want to deal with the landlord for uh, a office space that I'm renting. I don't want to figure out IT. Like I like enjoyed mm-hmm. working with clients. So I wanted to own as much of the client experience as I could and offload as much of the things that I dislike to a firm that can kind of handle it for me. Right. So when you're captive with a bank, you don't have a choice. You got to do everything through them. Right. Mm-hmm. Fully independent, you have a lot of choice and you can basically do anything. And when you're hybrid like me, your choices are limited. So I can't be like, what? I want uh, a MacBook because that's what I want. Our whole firm is like, no, we got an IT department that supports Windows computers. So that's what you're going to get if you want to work with us. <laughs> right. So I get a computer and work, right? With the break, I just send it back and they give me another one. I don't have to go buy it. I'll figure it out. The IT issue, they, they sort it out for me. But I can't pick Mac versus. Right. Uh, Windows. So that's, that's the drop, right? My email system is the same thing, right? Like, can I pick Proton Mail as a fully independent advisor for peer security? Absolutely. In principle, we only use the Outlook system. The pros and cons for Outlook. Mm-hmm. If you want to be on principle, you got to use Outlook, right? So I'm not enough of an IT nerd to be like, I absolutely love Proton Mail and I'm going to figure out how it works. I'm like, I don't care, right? I, all I want is a client to be able to email me and not for me to have to think about it. And so right. those are the choices that you make when you go from, be a W2 captive advisor to potentially mm-hmm. being independent or like a hybrid model. Like I'm currently right. No, that's great. I'm sure there are going to be some financial advisors uh, listening to this show. And I think if they want to take a deeper phase like you did, I think these are some great options that mm-hmm. you just laid out. So, so you, that's pretty so cool. You might, I think you, this might be one of the questions that come up, but talking about leap of faith, why do people even do this, right? So what I would suggest if you are thinking about doing this is do your due diligence right so in terms of our industry you need to know what you're going to do 12 to 18 months out you can't simply just make that change you really got to be diligent about okay what model do i like what firm do i like what's the offering what's not right and so mm-hmm. it, it that has to be done up front there's a process to leave being a captive advisor right without getting sued along the way Right. And you can be very meticulous about this process so that you don't run afoul of a giant legal team that, that can basically crush you under losses. Right. Other thing I would suggest, I thought about leaving for four years, five years almost. Right. The wirehouse model is great. I wouldn't give it up wow. anything. I learned an incredible amount of stuff with Laura Stanley being there for a decade, stuff that you can't replicate really anywhere else. But there comes a point when you're like, okay, well, I'm doing all this work and I'm getting nothing of value in return. So the way I looked at it as a captive advisor is I looked at Morgan Stanley as a vendor to me, right? They're a vendor that provides me the the rent and the legal and the the office and the desk space or whatever, right? I said, okay, well, Mm -hmm. this vendor is taking 80% of my revenue, 
right? Oh, wow. It's, so it's huge, right? When you start adding all the things that they take on the front end and then kind of where you're out on the back end, it's like, okay, well, I'm paying 80% of what I bring in from clients goes back to more of a standard. And what am I getting? For that? And it, ironically enough, it was actually Morgan Stanley that kind of made that switch for me because they're like, you should think like an entrepreneur because we're all talking about that, right? I start thinking like an entrepreneur, yeah. are you your, what's my vendor cost? Well, wait a minute, my vendor cost is what? You start looking at other firms. Okay, the vendor costs, what they provide, how they do it. Maybe that cost goes down to 35% or 40% or 20% or, or zero in some cases. It's fully independent, right? Yeah. So that was the kind of the key. But the problem is, is inertia. So it's comfortable working in W2, right? Mm -hmm. That whole, there's so much mystery around 1099 about being your own boss. And about, I mean, I think what really freaks people out is the IRS quite a bit, right? Like, how do I deal with this from a tax perspective? And there's all those legal issues that come up with that. But I mean, for me, the shift was pretty straightforward, right? Like if you do your due diligence ahead of time, you kind of know what, how the transition is going to work, at least in my industry, right? Again, can't speak for mm-hmm. career or career shifters, right? But from an advisory perspective, going from cap to W2 to 1099, if you've done your homework ahead of time, it's not as big a deal. The dilemma comes in the inertia, as I mentioned earlier, it's usually a catalyst. So for me, mm. I was unhappy for three or four years, but it was fine, right? It was just a nurse that was keeping me. And then eventually what ended up happening was my father passed away. And so my mm. father was helping me, two young kids, right? And he was helping pick up the kids from school and do all this stuff. Now all of a sudden I was put in this position where I'm 35 miles away from where we live, right? My office was in Palo Alto. I live in San Jose. And it's like, now I have to mm. double going back and forth to an office. This is pre-pandemic, so the traffic was ridiculous. Not so bad now. But my wife and I are trying to do all these things. And so I was like, okay, this sucks, right? I hate how I get paid. I hate how I have to come here. I hate all these other things. So it was this catalyst that said, okay, well, I've kind of been thinking about this for a while. So let's really take that step and do it, right? And so the good news for me was because I'd already done due diligence, because I'd already kept tabs on other companies and other places I wanted to go, I wasn't starting from scratch. So the process for me mm-hmm. from when that catalyst occurred actually go somewhere else was only about four to six months right because i kind of already knew mm-hmm. this was going to happen and so that's my point to any advisor coming across this right don't wait until the catalyst occurs before you start doing due diligence we are not in an environment where we were like 20 or 30 years ago where you usually don't work for one company so that's your life now there are some advisors that might do that but the reality is these firms are mostly about profit and you are the second third fourth down that list right it's about making money for the company at all costs and if that mm-hmm. vibe you dislike, you had better start looking for other options because they will come. Now, you need to build your practice so you can't just leave with nothing, right? So you have to have solid client relationships and whatnot to, to make that move sustainable. But that's all going to be done ahead of time, right? In this particular industry, you can't just leave and start. I mean, you could, but your success would be pretty rough to begin with. Like, I'll tell you right now, if I didn't bring over all the clients I brought over when I went independent, I would be, I'd probably be doing something else. Like, I, I don't think it'd be a financial advice because it would not have been fiscally sustainable. Interesting. You mentioned the interesting fact that you you started thinking about like four years ago. Yeah. Like, and it sounded like you took a step forward only after your father passed right. away. Yeah. No. Sorry to hear about that. What sort of, and like a lot of people, they're trying to make a career shift mm-hmm. or they're trying to move forward. 
uh, or sh make a shift from W2 to become a business owner or entrepreneur. There are a lot of limited beliefs that people experience. Yeah. Was there, was there any limited beliefs that you experienced after you started thinking about it and before you took a step forward? Limiting beliefs? Is that what you're asking me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the limiting thing was, okay, I'm going to have to go pay all this money now to hire a tax person to figure out my 1099 situation, and that's going to negate any benefit, right, the, of being a 1099 employee. And it wasn't even the case at all, right? So I think you mentally throw up roadblocks as to how hard it's going to be and what the challenge is, but the reality is it's not that bad. Software has come a long way, right? So I use a combination of QuickBooks and TurboTax for running my practice. <laughs> it's so easy, right? Like I thought it was going to be an absolute nightmare. I don't like that I have to pay into it a bunch of money, right, to make this happen. But the investment that I buy, called the investment, right, the 25, 40 bucks, wherever that I pay a month to have the software run for me. I mean, I've saved tenfold, hundredfold more than the fact that I'm getting more value out of the fees that I charge clients that I'm not paying to a bank, right? Yeah, W-2 is super easy, sure, fine, right? But what's the cost for that? Right, it's yeah. huge. So again, a little bit, a couple of bucks, 20, 40, 50 bucks a month in software, and all of a sudden now you take home an extra 35, 40, 50 grand. Yeah, sure, why not, right? Like, so again, these <laughs> people course. tend to make the job harder than it actually is, right? And again, I'm strictly speaking from going from W-2 to 1099, right? Like if you're, mm. I'll give an example, right? Like if you're, an engineer working at like on Facebook or whatever, right? And now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I want to start a, a friggin' grilled cheese company. Now, like that's a, that's completely different, right? Because now you're talking about an entire business that you start walking away from a lot of guaranteed money to start this potential endeavor that from scratch that you don't know, right? If it was me, I would be spending like 20% of my free time building that up before I jump, right? And for me, it's a little different because it's the same industry. So the leap of faith is not as hard, but yeah, if you're like doing something else and you're trying to create, I've started the side hustle. My top clients is all the time, right? We all have 10 projects, things that we like, right? Start that side hustle, see if you can grow it. And if it becomes lucrative where you think it could become lucrative, at least you're not starting from scratch. And that kind of goes back to my point about advisors having good relationships with their clients. If you're going to make this jump from being a captive employee to being an independent advisor, you have to have a good relationship so the clients will come with you. They need to be more wedded to you than they are to the firm, right? If you've done a good job as an advisor, people will say, yeah, that's my advisor, not that is Morgan Stanley is not my financial advisor. Morgan Stanley is just a name on the door, right? In my situation, you got to have good client relationships. If you're in the other situation where, again, you're doing something totally different, I would suggest starting it as a side hustle and kind of working on it and building it and maybe it comes up. Right. We have a, we have a friend of ours who's like that. He has currently started his own dog training business. Right, you may remember him, Mark Stewart, who used to train with us. Mm -hmm. So Mark worked in tech. I had him on the show. He's like, right. So you're familiar with that. Mark <laughs> made that leap, right? He yeah. dabbled in it for ages, right? And finally got to a point where he's got set up, and he's like, I thought I could do this on my own. Yeah. It's good, right? So like that is the kind of thing that I would suggest to people, and don't leave your day job. Right. Unless you've yeah. got VC funding that you can have a runway for a while, leaving your day job's on option. Right. Like, don't do it. This is a good advice. Take it to a consideration. Like, if you want to end your WSO career, if you want to become a business owner or entrepreneur, start doing something on the side. Yeah. Like Amy just said, it's really 
for some people, it's very uncomfortable to go from being comfortable and become uncomfortable, right? And in this type of situation, you're sort of making a move from a comfortable zone to a little bit uncomfortable because you kind of dip your toes in the water, kind of got a little bit of comfortable, and now just accelerate. Yeah. So, I think yeah, it's perfect. Here with Gary, right? Like, you, you have, <laughs> so I made the switch. I was, what was that? Four years ago. I was 36 when I made the shit. For, or 18 years. 18 years I've been a W2 employee. Every single job I've ever had in my wow. life, 18 years, right? I did nothing else the w2 channel and so making that leap of faith it was scary for the first year and you just don't know what you don't know right but it's i would tell most people it's not as scary as you think it's not as scary as you think uh write this down guys it's a golden nugget it's not as scary as you think hey what was that so i'm curious was there any educational source that impacted to you the most in your business so it's interesting, Rob, give me kind of my educational background. I grew up in your typical aging kid and parents are like, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, go be an engineer or whatever. Right. So I never really wanted to do any of those things, but I went to school trying to appease my parents and saying, this is the thing that I'm going to be a lawyer because that's what my parents want me to be. Right. So I graduated high school in San Jose. I went to Santa Clara university graduated from Santa Clara University. And when I started Santa Clara, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be an attorney. So I'll do the political science, pre law track. And then I ended up doing an internship for a law firm, right? And literally hated every second of it. And I had this like profound realization that, dude, if I do this for the rest of my life, I'm going to end up committing suicide. This sucks. Uh, an internship came for IP law, right? Which was the sexy thing at the time for the Silicon Valley. Everyone wants to do IP law, right? And it was just terrible. Mm -hmm. The worst thing ever. And I, was, I finally, like, I was 21, 22 at the time. I was like, I can't do this. What? And yeah. so I gave that up. And that I'd always been dabbling in investments since I was like 15, 16, right? People come in all the time, like, hey, you, can you help me out with this? What should I do with my 401k? Like, what do you think about this idea? What do you think about this idea? I just didn't know that was a thing you could get paid for. I didn't really know being a financial advisor was like a job, right? It's, all right. Pause, 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 pause. All right. So, 1516. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How did you get into it at 1516? So I got started into it. So 98, 99. This is right when the dot com bust or dot com boom started, right? So I'm 40 in uh, 1998. I was, yeah, I was 16, right? And so this whole thing about, oh, really wasn't me at first. It was my parents coming to me and saying, Hey, you, hey, let's just buy this random pets.com thing. We'll just be millionaires in five weeks, right? Which kind of a familiar thing with NFTs and crypto right now, right? It's easy money. Everyone thinks they can do it. And that was kind of my introduction. I was like, and I started looking into it and I started researching. I'm like, these are garbage. Like, what, what, what makes this so bad? And it was just a confusion to me that you could just buy a thing and be rich in five weeks. Like, it was dealt. Like, it didn't make sense to me. Right. That's kind of how I got my okay, so was starting the trade during the tech boom. Right. And learning very hard left it in the tech bus. Right. So for two years, I was amazing. I was like, man, I'm killing this. I'm 16, 17, 18, just trading, kicking ass. And then all of a sudden, 1920. And I'll you, it's better to lose all your money at 20 than it is to lose all your money at 40 because you don't have that much money at 20. Right. But, but the impact of losing 
all of your money at 20, it's still the same because you're losing all of your money, right? It's just a less amount that you're losing. The visceral gut feeling that you have of how much that sucks, it's better to learn when you are broke than when you're playing with NFTs and cryptos in your mid 40s, <laughs> right? So, well, so I learned our lesson and that was really the catalyst from there was to be like, okay, well, you know, I started dabbling and doing stuff and kind of working from there on the side. And so I always kept that interest in there and people would come to me and say, that was really my frame of reference for how I buy now. And it parallels to where we're at 20 years later, right? In this current market is how we got my set. Like, don't be greedy. Don't overdo this. Don't like you have a, have a plan, right? Cause it's really, it's not about what you could have had. It's about what you walked away with. And that's the dilemma for most in five years, diamond hand nonsense and old or whatever. Right? It's, it's stupid. Like you, you've got to take profit. Mm. Otherwise, what is the point of me even trading? You're just going to write it all the way down. Right. And so that was my introduction yeah. to my lesson and doing that on the side and i loved it i loved every second i was a stock market junkie right i love like all that stuff <laughs> like i was reading the wall street journal for fun I literally if i'd lock my dell tomorrow i'd still subscribe to the wall street journal and read it every day right like i just do it for fun mm -hmm. and I, the fact that i am being paid for that is mind-boggling to me <laughs> so, so you lost all the money when you were 20 but then you sort of got back to it again so some people when they go through the negative experience, they kind of stop doing things. But what sort of uh, motivated you to continue? Natural kind of inquisitive sort of mindset, right? My thing was like, why, why did, why did this happen? What happened? Right. And that's when I really started kind of reading and right, like kind of mm. figuring out, okay, what, what is that? like started learning about investor psychology and market behavior and like how people tend to react during market cycles. And I realized like I got caught on the top of the cycle when I first started going in. Right. And so now I've been through three market cycles, right? Dot com, financial crisis, and then this kind of last, well, I guess you could say four now, because I would say the pandemic was one. We're in the middle of a fourth one right now. Right. So I've seen no, cycles and what well, seem like to be, right. And so I kind of know. You seem like to be a veteran. <laughs> you seem like to be a veteran. Yeah, I've, right? I've been through the trenches a couple of times, right? <laughs> so yeah, I've seen the ups and I've seen the downs. Three, four years ago, I've seen the same thing again, right? People are just, easy money just buy anything and it'll go up and once you start to hear that that's when you got to pause put the brakes on stuff the problem is you don't know what that time period is between when you hear what, that canary in the coal mine and when the market's going to drop right and so to kind of answer that i knew the market was going to crack in 2008 i was telling people this in 05 and 06 but it was three years later before it actually bought it there's plenty of money to be made on the upside between 2006 and like 2008 right so I'd be defending conservative clients at that point. So they, that was helpful, but like there was still, there was still complaints. Like, oh, the market's still going up. Market's still going up. You're not doing as much. And then 2008 happens. I was like, oh, I get it now. Right. But it's a challenge <laughs> because people are, are always reacting to the most recent thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so having that experience has certainly helped now. So I guess from an educational perspective, two things, being in the trenches and doing it right? There's no substitution for experience, right? At least in this line of work. Like you cannot claim to be an advisor if you've never seen, I mean, you can't claim to be like a veteran advisor unless you've actually been through an entire cycle. So up, the downs, and then the up again, right? Maybe the other down, right? So there's plenty of people that get into business and they don't really know. Like if you got into business in the last five years, anything, right? You all you've seen is money go up, 
throw a dart, money goes up, throw a dart, money goes up. So the guys that got into the business recently are getting a, a lesson that I hope they learn when they're extremely young mm -hmm. and carry it with them for the rest of their lives. So experience is one. And then two, informally, I would suggest mm -hmm. like mentors, right? And so this is kind of applicable to any industry, right? Before you make that jump, if you like the example I used earlier, if you're, if you work at, you know, in an engineer Facebook, you know, go start a grilled cheese company. Don't just do that. Go talk to other people who have started a restaurant, right? In my case was when I was at Morgan Stanley, I got embedded with a team that was doing corporate stock planning. And so that's kind of why my experience and one of my niche is now is because I talked with them. They were doing stuff that I didn't know where I thought was dumb when I first thought I was like, this is stupid. There's a waste of time. Why would you do that? And then the more that I started to do it, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, this is like really makes a ton of sense. And it's not, it's irreplaceable experience, right? So again, being in the trenches is one. And then two, finding a mentor or whatever it is that you're trying to do is hugely helpful. And you would be surprised, right? People are really willing to give back if you approach it as, hey, look, you're, you are some, someone who's experienced. I value the stuff that you've done. I'm impressed by what you've done. Would you mind mentoring me or you know, maybe even sharing like a more cup of coffee, a couple of things that helped you be successful when you were just starting out, like I'm just starting out. And when you approach it that way, people are really, really forthcoming and open to like helping others succeed, right? I've seen that time and time again. Mm -hmm. If you get that guy that's like, no, you off. I assure you his business underneath the, the, the finder paperwork is probably not doing as good, right? If someone is more open and helpful. <laughs> Yeah, so hey, these are some mm -hmm. really cool stuff that you, uh, that you just shared. Experience, right? Get started, get some experience, and get some mentors. And uh, I think this is uh, super valuable. And probably get, you also mentioned one thing, like get in a group of people who is already doing it, right? And sort of be, like, a, a, I would say be a dumbest person and just ask questions, right? Surround yourself with people who are much that are smarter than you. Be the the second or third dumbest person in the room, because if you're going into this right and you're saying I want to do this business, you should have at least done some research so you're not completely coming from scratch. Because now, if I get people who haven't done any research <laughs> and they're asking me how to be an advisor, I'm like completely irritated after 20 minutes. Right. Cause there's, there's so much information online. Like you have at least a level, level of tiny basic competence, right? Like if I'm going to go open a grilled cheese shop. I'm going to kind of know about, okay, well, how do I make a grilled cheese sandwich? Like you can go talk to a restaurant and you're like, I'm going to grilled cheese business and not around make grilled cheese sandwich. Okay. Get out of here. Right. Have a bit of knowledge because the resources that we get today is very different than 30 years ago. Like 30 years ago, you couldn't jump on a computer and learn the amount of staggering knowledge you can learn now, right? So the idea is I want to go do X, at least, again, going back to the due diligence thing, learn a little bit about that before you go and approach somebody for that mentorship angle, and it will go a long way. Also, the conversations will be more meaningful because hopefully the goal is some of the things that they're talking about, you kind of have a basic understanding of, not to start from scratch. This is, yeah, so that's a great point. That conversation and so they're talking about P&L and you're like, what's a P&L? You're going to look like a complete idiot, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's a great point there are a lot of information on the internet that anyone can pick up it's just probably the, it just be, becomes a point like hey don't be lazy right awesome yeah and that 
So this is great, man. One of the questions that always they wanted to ask you was uh, like a lot of people, for example, don't. And we talked about the side hustle, right? So if you want to do something, start the hustle, start the side hustle. But even probably before that, before people start the side hustle, uh, they may probably don't know where to start and how to start. Do you have any tips or one tip that you can share with our audience on where people would actually, like how would people actually start? I would suggest you start a side hustle doing whatever it is you love, right? So you can find something that makes money in every single aspect of your life. So let's, I'll give you a couple of examples, right? I love Mm. grilled cheese sandwiches. Cool. I'm going to start a grilled cheese sandwich company. I love shopping. Okay. Maybe I start doing vintage thrift store buying and selling that stuff on eBay for a profit, right? I love punching people in the face. Cool. I'll get paid the side hustle to teach people how to punch each other in the face, which is what I do. That's my side hustle. (laughs) (laughs) So like you can, whatever that is your passion project, right? Like that, I I don't see why you couldn't turn that into a side hustle. Maybe you love working out. Okay. Well, if you're fit and you love working out, maybe you become a personal trainer on the side, right? There's like, what's the big thing now? It's TikTok videos, right? So if you're fit and you're doing like working out and post your videos on TikTok and whatever, just working you there. Today, in this age, there's so many sources to create kind of side income, right? That we didn't have even five years ago, right? Along 10, 12 years ago. So you can really take the thing that you enjoy in your life and make videos, right? Like you give me three things and I'll tell you how you can make money. Right. So give me three things, three hobbies and I'll show you how you can make money. All right. Let's go. Garage door. That's not a hobby. Your hobby is looking at garage doors. Like your patch the side part. Like one of three things people like to do. Okay. Okay. So not just three yeah. things, but what people like to do. Okay. Drive cars. Drive cars. Right. So if you're driving cars and you want to make that a side hustle, that's what Bloomberg's for. Dump. That's too easy. Yeah. Excellent. Second <laughs> All right. Yeah. Doing burpees. Okay, excellent. TikTok video. But if you're really good at doing burpees, right? Personal training. Right. If you're really into fitness, that's an easy way. I already gave that example. But yeah, like creating a blog post, right? Writing on the internet, creating an site about why burpees are beneficial for you or whatever, right? So there's stuff around that that you could do. I'd say the fitness industry has done to death because it's TikTok done, but it's easy if you've got some kind of niche that you can break into that post it online and see what happens. Cool. All right. And the third one. Let's see. Chasing, Chasing dogs. Okay, so chasing dogs, a couple of things you could do there. You could start breeding them. So if you really want to get dogs that are fast, you just start learning how to breed dogs and you breed faster and faster dogs. And I know that can make money because some of these idiotic, mm. stupid-looking dogs go for like $5,000 a piece, right? So we talk about French oh, wow. and poodles and what these disgusting little things. But yeah, they go for tons of money, right? So in theory, if you like chasing <laughs> dogs or you like chasing dogs, there's a sport where dogs chase like a little rabbit. If that's like your side also, you really need like betting on that getting the dog breeding right you already know stuff about the dog you think what makes a champion dog that's a chaser right like the breeding aspect could do it all right cool i was actually referring like people if people like chasing dogs and you're always chasing dogs for a dog walker (laughs) (laughs) all right all right awesome awesome Man, you're doing this on the fly. So many businesses that's, that's, that's you're created for people. Game. I'm always trying to think about how to make money, right? So I'm going to make money for clients. So what is 
what is the thing that can lead me to that? And that's, that kind of forms my entire, my entire being. Nice. It's a yeah. salesperson talking to you, huh? <laughs> cool. All right. Well, what are you currently working on? And uh, what is the biggest challenge? Well, my not, but right now for me, it's going practice, right? I'm still pretty young. Advisory standards. Your average advisor is roughly 57 to 59 and I'm sub 40, right? So mm. for me, I'm in a growth phase for clients, right? There's a term in our industry called Henry's, which is high earning, not rich yet, which tends to apply to a lot of people in the Bay area where you make a load of income, but because everything's so expensive, uh, your actual cash flow is not that great. Or you work for a company and you're sitting on stock options and you're waiting for the company to go public before you move into sudden well, right? So expanding my practice to help people mm. that are not rich so that they love me when they do become rich is kind of the goal of, of what I'm doing now. Awesome. So you yeah. described the goal, which was my uh, next question. And what's sort of the overarching goal for you? Like, like what is the, what is the why? What is the why behind of what you're doing? So, for me, it comes down to family, right? Like, I want to have a job that I love, right? I don't want to be stuck into a desk doing corporate IP law. I gave that up already. What can I do that I love that also supports mm. my family so they can do what they love, right? So we mentioned a side hustle example. To my side hustle example, I love punching people in the face, but the amount of pay that I get for that is like beer money. So I can't really turn that in. I mean, I could, right? But again, that leap of faith where now I'm posting YouTube's and videos of myself showing people how to hit each other and building a brand around that, right? But my current 1099 game pays enough that I can just do that for fun. And I'm satisfied enough in what I do and how it provides for my family so they can do what they want to do, but I don't need to. My side hustle, if I didn't get paid for it, I'll still do it anyway, right? So that's how I want people to think of whatever the shift that they're going to make. Like if it's your side hustle, if it's going to be your main gig, will it provide you and it's going to be hard in the beginning. You probably have to work more and not have that family time. But will it eventually provide you within a reasonable time frame the ability to provide for the things that you really want to do and not totally destroy your soul in the process? Wow, that's deep. That's deep. Thank you for sharing that. To close our show, I usually yeah. ask five, six uh, this is questions in the yeah. one round. You ready? All right, awesome. So let's let's try to keep it maybe like under... 30 seconds, 45 seconds, yeah, yeah. Yep. and try to think fast. Yeah. All, right. All right, cool. All right, so the, the first one. Oh, let's go back for a second to elementary and middle school years. Uh, wh what was the younger version of Emmett looked like at that time? Chubby, fat kid who was very unsure of himself. Yeah. Mm. All right. Next one. What does it go to Halloween costume? He with guns, really. Because when I walk around, people always ask me, are you a police officer? Are you a law enforcement officer? I think it's kind of my bearing, my demeanor. So literally when I had any costume with guns associated with it, it <laughs> seems to fit my personality. I mean, cowboy, could be a super, 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 <laughs> anyway, any with guns is probably the way to go. Wow. Right. As I feel, I feel like there are so many things right now that you just <laughs> drop. I, I can break those down and we can have like 20 episodes. Anytime. Thanks, <laughs> man. <laughs> All right, next one. If you were to describe yourself with swagger. just one word, what would no, it be? About, about that swagger. I am supremely yeah. confident, right? I know what I know, and I am ridiculously confident about those things. But I also know what I don't know, and I'm happy to defer to people when I'm not, right? So this daring, I would make this joke, right? A lot of people mistake my confidence for arrogance, 
but I am very, very confident in the things I know. Swagger and like that personality is something that hundred percent people would describe. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that for sure. <laughs> uh, what was the one question you always wanted to be asked by someone who interviewed yeah, you in the past? Well, I think one of the things that the interview question just kind of really find like who who do you look up to, right? Like who is an inspiration for you? So for me, there's two. One was my dad because he was that first generation immigrant, and he was kind of the one that, from a young age, before I recognized it, got me on the path that I'm on now. He's always, you know, save your money and invest it, and don't spend more than you can. So that's really a, a big one for me, right? Because there's a generation of Americans who, and I'll kind of paraphrase in a less swearing way, uh, Fight Club, the movie. There's a generation of Americans who spend money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. Right. And that literally sums up wow. a huge swath of the American population. Right. And so he was the one that taught me to be grounded, to taught me to be a little bit more realistic, less consumptive in how I live my life. And I think that who you look up to or who was in an influence on your life or is a good question. And that's how I would answer it. Who you look up to. Excellent. The next one. Let's say in 100 years, science fails to save us. And all that is left is a book about your life. What would the title be? And what would the blurb the tell us about Emin Tried Tried to warn us, and the blurb would be, why did nobody listen? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, man. Well, well, now you have to write that book, right? Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Emmett Patel. Emmett, thank you so much for coming to the show. A ton of fun. If I'm on any time or if there's any follow-up questions from any of your listeners, I'm happy to answer those at any point in the future as well. Yeah. If they do, uh, so I can find send you my contact information. I have a website, www.amitr, as in Roger, Patel, P-A-T-E-L.com. You can find all my contact information on there. Available on LinkedIn. You can search for my name plus principal. Or, yeah, and then you'll be able to see me that way. So I'm on the internet. If you search Emma Patel and fighting, you'll find pictures of me. A uh, local gym that I attend, Academy of Self-Defense. So I'm around. You can find me. Uh, emailing me is generally the best way to get a hold of me. I'd be asking any questions anybody might have. Cool. And that's awesome. And we're going to sure. drop those in our show notes so people can actually look it up and reach out to you if they have any questions. And probably, hey guys, don't go to police station and, and ask for him. He's not a police okay. officer. No. It's like when I throw my mustache out. Let it get extinguished. Yo, well, awesome. Take care, Thank you so much. And then, bye. We hope that today's episode has inspired you to take action towards building the life you've always wanted. Don't forget to leave us a review, share, and subscribe to our podcast for more empowering stories, actionable insights, and motivation to help you make the shift towards your own dreams. Thanks again for listening to The Shift.